Hey everybody, you're listening to Orla's Happy Hormones podcast, talking all things female health and wellness. I'm Orla O'Flaherty, a certified naturopath and herbalist, and I'm here to talk about everything from periods, hormones, fertility, health, sex, energies, self-awareness, and just life in general. Here's to happy hormones and a happy you. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Orla's Happy Hormones podcast. And we are up to episode 42. And this week I'm doing a Q&A style one because I just love doing the Q&A style podcasts. I do a Q&A on my Instagram a few times a week. And I love answering questions when I have the knowledge to answer them. I love giving as much information as I possibly can. But the thing is with the Instagram ones is that it's, I, I can't, go as in-depth as I'd like to, so I'm doing it here instead. Um, I think this is like the fourth Q&A style one I've done. I really do enjoy enjoy them. And so thank you for sending in your, your questions and keep sending them in to me because I only love answering them. But I'm very conscious that the day this podcast goes out will be Friday the 14th of February, which is Love Day. I'm recording this a week before. And I love Valentine's Day. I love Love Day. And already I'm seeing people putting up posts, cynical posts and how much they hate Valentine's and it's just all about consumerism and it's a false holiday and da 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 da. Well, Valentine's Day is a day to celebrate love. And yes, it can be all about consumerism but look the the consumer market they monetized on that so you can't really blame them but it's what you put into valentine's yourself and it's how you see it yourself and for me i love it because it's a day to celebrate love and it doesn't have to be romantic love it can be platonic love love towards friends your family siblings kids nieces nephews it's just a day to celebrate love because in a world full of bad news and dark shit at the end of the day love is there and love holds us up as cheesy as it sounds i know but why not instead of shunning the day embrace it and go out and meet friends and meet family or go on a you date one thing I love doing is bringing myself on dates because I deserve to go out and everybody deserves to go out and have fun or go have a nice meal or whatever it is that you love to do everyone deserves to do those things and the one thing I'm seeing with all these cynical posts is that People are putting their self-worth in the hands of others. So people are giving out about Valentine's Day because they're lonely. And they don't feel wanted. And that's understandable. But knowing that your self-worth comes from you. How you perceive yourself. What your relationship is like with yourself and nobody else. That's really important. You need to build up that relationship with you. And by starting doing that, going out, bringing yourself out on a date, 
go buying yourself some flowers just go on a walk have a movie night (laughs) do whatever it is that you love to do but embrace the day of love day and if it's if it's a day that you don't like simply because you're single you can flip that story that's just a story in your head and you can flip it to be one of the best days of your life if you want it to be so if you are listening on valentine's day i'm wishing you a very very happy love day and i'm sending love your way to anyone who does not like this day to anyone who feels lonely or even anyone who is in a relationship and feels lonely because they're the worst (laughs) but take this day for you and nobody else but show the people around you that you do love them and that you do care so that's my valentine's rant over back to the podcast the Q&A style podcast so the first question that I got in was I'm not going to name names, I never name names on who sends in these questions, was from a woman and her question wasn't so much a question but a statement. My periods increasing in length after being the same for a number of years, I'm age 30. So there was no question but I'm presuming you're looking for a bit of advice as to why this is happening. So there can be a number of factors causing this and to be honest it's all down to the person individually and looking at the areas in your life. When it comes to our menstrual cycles, it can really tell us an awful lot about our internal environments and our internal health and what's going on. But to break it down first, so the average period is like two to seven days, two being very short, but on average two to seven days. And anything over that is classed as as a long period so bleeding for eight days or more that's considered long in general though periods on the longer end of normal so like your five to seven days aren't something to be concerned about now you haven't stated how long they actually are just that they're getting longer but anything lasting eight days or more should be investigated if it's less than the eight days it's not a huge concern but then as well for anyone whose cycles are excessively heavy so like you'd have to change your your pad or your tampons or your cup multiple times a day um that's also something that you should look into so even saying that it's it's not something to be concerned about um that's a bit of a flippant remark from me because the one thing i always say is just because something is common doesn't actually make it normal so what is normality normality is what's normal for you so this is a change in your personal cycle this is a change in your personal menstrual flow so what has happened to make that change now there are like i said there are a number of different factors but something is going on internally for you so i would actually recommend going to your doctor and getting some blood tests done get your estrogen levels checked get your fsh checked your lh checked But again, there are a few different factors that could be causing it. So the first is age. I know, I'm sorry, you're you're only 30, you're still young, but age plays a huge factor in our periods. So as we get older, there, there can be 
there can be a significant change in our cycles, especially if we haven't had kids yet. And trust me, I get it. It feels like we're being punished for not having kids by now. I'm right there with you. Now, I don't know if you have kids or not, but if you don't, this could be a contributing factor. And to be honest, it the reason why age has an effect is because it does come down to our, our the different phases of our, of our life. So like when we start our menstruation, we're in our adolescent years. This is when we start our periods and usually they're pretty messy and irregular at first. Like for the first few, could be for just for the first few months, but also for the first few years. And they can, when, we, when we're starting our period, periods, they can actually be very similar to when we're heading into menopause. Because not every cycle is going to be an ovulatory cycle. The body's just starting out in its big fertility journey. So it, it's not going to be regular. But then we hit our 20s and this is when we are really at our our fertility prime. Our 20s is when our biological clock usually starts ticking. <laughs> For me, it was I was 26 and I remember it so well. I literally got hit in the ovaries with this almighty pang and that I, I needed to be a mother. And I always knew I wanted to be a mother, but I, this was like, a, I, I wanted to get pregnant right there and then. Now, I wasn't seeing any, anyone at the time, thank God. <laughs> And as well, logic won out on that battle because I, I simply was not ready then. But it was that want. So that was my biological clock kicking in. But in our 20s, we are at our most regular and most fertile times. And our ovulation and menstruation is, is meant to be on par or meant to be normal. And again, this is because evolutionary, we are designed, we were designed to have children at a younger age. It's just evolution hasn't caught up or our bodies haven't caught up with the evolution of society. We are now as women having children later in years in our thirties, which brings me to our thirties. Like our bodies do start to slow down, unfortunately, in the reproductive area of our thirties. And this is because again, like I said, evolutionary Historically, women started having kids at a much younger age than we do now. Like the average age of a woman becoming pregnant is now like 34 to 36, as opposed to 17 to 21, 100 years ago. But like I said, our reproductive bodies, they haven't actually caught up with the evolution of society. So in our 30s, things do start slowing down. Eastern levels are starting to lower. And the average age of perimenopause can be from the late 30s into the early 40s. So it's knowing that age does play a big role in menstrual changes. And knowing that because your body is now in its 30s, the estrogen is going to start declining slightly. So that's why I'm saying do go to your doctor, get your estrogen levels checked out. And then while you're at your doctor, do get some other areas checked because other factors that in, that could be causing this could be down to a whole host of different things. You could have an underlying health issue. It could be lifestyle factors. It's really having to look at your your external and your internal environments. So the likes of stress, sleep, poor nutrition and poor absorption of nutrients. Like chronic stress plays a huge factor in our menstrual cycles because it disrupts our HPA axis, which then in turn disrupts our HPG axis. So that's really important to look at, knowing that if you have high levels of stress, it's automatically 
going to have an impact on your menstrual cycle. Then underlying health concerns, like I was saying, while you're at your doctor, also get these checked out. Like get your thyroid function checked. If there's an issue with your thyroid, it's going to have an impact on your menstrual cycle. Again, this is down to the HPA and the HPG axis. So the HPA axis is the the hypothalamus, pituitary and adrenal glands. The HPG is the hypothalamus, pituitary and the gonads. Notice the the common link is the hypothalamus and the pituitary. These are two glands in our brain which regulate all our hormones, our stress hormones, our reproductive hormones, our thyroid hormones, so much. So if there's a problem in either the hypothalamus or the pituitary or the thyroid, there's going to be an issue further down the line. So even like with your thyroid health, low thyroid levels can actually cause your periods to become much longer. High thyroid levels will make them become much lighter. And then there's other factors to consider. So the likes of endometriosis, uterine fibroids, uterine polyps, they can all cause extended period lengths, but these usually come with other signs and symptoms like pain and distension. And like I said, because everybody's body is different and just because something is quote-unquote common doesn't mean it's quote-unquote normal so if your period has changed that's not normal for you so I would recommend going to the doctor and getting the investigations done and just making sure that you're up to date with your smears and everything like that so it could be something as simple as your stress levels poor nutrition poor absorption lack of sleep it could be something as simple as just your age moving on in life not again not that you're old because you're not you're young I get I get you I'm 33 you're 30 so don't worry you are young but unfortunately it does play a role when it comes to our reproductive lives or there could be something more going on so getting your thyroid levels checked getting your eastern levels checked your FSH and your LH And if all of them come back clear, then it's just looking at what you can do for yourself. If it's stress, reducing stress out. If it's nutritional factors, looking at your your nutrition and what you can do to improve your overall health and looking at your gut health as well. So I hope I've been able to answer some of that for you. Um, But like I said, do go to your doctor. Now my second question then, came in from a girl who who wants to know if bacterial vaginosis and candida are the same thing and if they're treated the same so these two conditions they present very similarly they have very similar symptoms but they are two very different conditions so bacterial vaginosis is It's the most common form of a vaginal infection that you can get. It's caused by bacteria or it's caused by the disruption in the balance of the natural occurring bacteria in the vagina. So we have bacteria in our vagina. It's meant to be there for vaginal, cervical, uterine health. So the symptoms of bacterial vaginosis are vaginal discharge that's either kind of watery and thin and grey or white in colour. 
it usually has a quite a strong unpleasant odor it's like do you know that fishy smell that you would associate with with an unclean vagina it's not that it's unclean it's just there's a bacteria infection in there but it's that fishy smell and then as well there'd be itching and uncomfortable sensations around the vulva so the vulva is outside of the vagina the vagina is actually inside and then like a burning sensation when peeing and now there's different causes for it um one of the main causes is it's most commonly caused by sex with a new partner or a sex with multiple partners without using a barrier method and this is because bacteria is literally being inserted into the vagina from a penis or from unwashed toys things like that so even if you use toys be very mindful of washing them after every use then other other causes the likes of douching or vaginal steaming this actually disrupts the balance of good and bad bacteria in the vagina so you, you shouldn't actually be douching or steaming your vagina unless you, there is an actual health condition there and you have been advised to do so then using the likes of perfumed um perfumed soaps or and any kind of body washes that have real strong chemical washing agents in them and as well perfumes a lot of women are spraying perfumes on their vagina please stop spraying perfume on your vagina you are disrupting the entire vaginal health and you're spraying chemicals directly onto a very delicate area which is going which is directly linked to your cervix and to your ovaries in a very sensitive ecosystem of your body like our our vagina holds good and bad bacteria and good and bad bacteria it, 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 there's a whole ecosystem there spraying chemicals directly in this area is not good for you and as well looking at the likes of cervical and ovarian cancers you don't want to be spraying harsh chemicals or using body washes that have harsh chemicals in them in those delicate areas well like i said like bacteria plays a huge role in in the vagina but it plays a huge role in our overall health like we usually hear people talking about the importance of our good gut bacteria the bacteria is is as just as important in our vaginas as it is in in our guts like the vagina has mostly good bacteria and some harmful bacteria but bacterial vaginosis happens when the harmful bacteria grows in numbers and outgrows the good bacteria so the vagina contains lactobacilli it, this is a bacteria which actually produces lactic acid and it makes the vagina slightly acidic and that's to prevent other harmful bacteria growing there so lower levels of lactobacilli may be causing you to be more susceptible to bacterial vaginosis. So again, if you're using strong chemical washing agents or perfumes, you are you are risking killing off your lactobacilli. So just be very cautious of the products that you're, you are using because you need this bacteria to prevent the overgrowth of, of other bacteria and infections. Now, when it comes to bacterial vaginosis, it can have long-term long complications if it goes untreated. So the likes of pelvic inflammatory, pelvic inflammatory disease. And 
PID can cause scarring and inflammation in the in the upper genitourinary tract, and that will cause complications further down the line when it comes to fertility. It's it can be treated. It it's it's not life threatening, but you're better off to treat to treat this at the early stages. So it's usually treated using antibiotics, and simply because it's a bacterial infection, and the overgrowth needs to be killed off. Now, the thing is, if you're using conventional antibiotics, if you're prescribed antibiotics from your doctor, make sure that you get a probiotic and you take a probiotic just to support your gut microbiome because it's really important. When you want antibiotics, then you're actually risking the chances of candida, which brings me on to candida. So candida is an overgrowth of candida albicans and that's a microorganism which is part of our natural microflora and it's actually found in the mouth the gastrointestinal tract and the vagina so when an overgrowth happens it can cause systemic candida and that's basically it's affecting multiple systems in the body but it is different to bacterial vaginosis as it's a fungal infection as to as opposed to a bacterial infection now again it's going back to the, the same form of bacteria, the levels of lactobacilli um, in the vagina. So usually lactobacilli keeps the levels of candida under control. But again, if these levels are, are low, it increases your chance of an overgrowth. So the symptoms of vaginal candida, again, quite similar to bacterial vaginosis, but different. I say similar because it's... Uh, most of the symptoms are usually in the vagina around the vulva so people get them confused but the symptoms of candida is or are the likes of a burning feeling while having sex or while peeing an itchy or painful feeling in and around the vulva and the vagina and then redness or irritation or swelling around the vulva and then again the vaginal discharge abnormal vaginal discharge that's with candida candida it's usually thick white or have like a yellowish tinge whereas with bacterial vaginosis it's it's more watery and gray or white with a very foul smell so they're the difference in the the symptoms and then the causes of candida again it's back to the the root cause low levels of lactobacilli there's not enough there to stop the overgrowth of the candida but then sex sex with someone who has an overgrowth of candida they can pass it on that can be passed on between partners then oral sex um is actually a really big factor in in candida overgrowth because again there is candida albicans in the mouth then people who've been on antibiotics they're more susceptible to to getting an overgrowth of candida. People with uncontrolled diabetes are more susceptible. And then women on the contraceptive pill, because the pill interferes with the gut microbiome. So again, more susceptible to getting candida. And then people with immune system issues, so autoimmune conditions, again, going back to the gut, autoimmune conditions are directly linked to gut health. So then the standard treatment for candida is antifungal medication so pessaries and creams to kill the overgrowth but looking at the actual cause is more important looking at gut health and the balance in good versus bad bacteria healing the gut will always be your first port of call 
when it comes to healing either candida overgrowth and also bacterial vaginosis now bacterial vaginosis does need an antibiotic be it a conventional antibiotic or a herbal antibiotic but you still need to look at the overall microbiome the gut flora so looking at gut health healing the gut lining and this comes down to reducing and eliminating out foods which are going to feed bacteria and yeast so the likes of your sugar dairy wheat yeast and alcohol these are your main trigger foods that you do need to cut out so yeah bacterial vaginosis and candida they do have very similar say signs and symptoms but they do have two very different causes and they both have very different outcomes if BV is left untreated, you can be left with scarring of the reproductive tract, which in the long run will not be good for you. Um, with candida, if left untreated, it's it will keep that overgrowth, will just get worse and worse and cause even further problems and further gut health issues, which can then lead into the likes of autoimmune problems down the line. That, again, if left untreated. But looking at what you can do at the root cause is good gut health and reducing or eliminating out all those those foods that feed bad bacteria so i hope i've clarified the difference between bacterial vaginosis and candida for you and now i'm on to my last question of the day which is are there any supplements i should take while on the pill it's funny Again, gut health. <laughs> yeah, this podcast today just seems to be all around gut health through hormones. But there is actually massive correlations between our gut microbiome, our eastern metabolizing properties, our overall hormonal health through the gut. So last week I covered the topic of whether or not you should be on the pill. Now, but I actually didn't go into how the pill actually disrupts your gut microbiome and then the permeability of the intestinal walls. Now, why is this important? It is important because when there's a problem with our gut, there is a an automatic negative feedback loop going on. Our gut has what's known as the gut microbiome, which is a complex complex ecosystem of bacteria and this bacteria that helps to govern nearly every function of the human bodies so studies show that the pill greatly disrupts the ecosystem and can cause a number of gut health related problems from gut dysbiosis to inflammatory bowel disease now gut dysbiosis is it's an altered state of your gut flora and the symptoms include the likes of bloating diarrhea headaches that brain fog abdominal pain, indigestion, acne, excessive gas, and like all, all of your IBS symptoms that, that you know of. And when I'm talking about the permeability of your gut wall, I'm literally talking about the lining of your intestinal walls. And when this becomes compromised, literally little holes can appear, like microscopic holes can appear or can develop, 
but then microscopic particles of toxic waste are leaking out into the bloodstream and it's causing a massive inflammatory response and an immune response and compromising your immune health. So I'm sure by now you've all heard how 80% of your immunity lies within our gut and it's down to this complex ecosystem of good and bad bacteria. Now, one of the biggest side effects of bacterial imbalance is chronic inflammation and irritation, which can then lead to the gut lining of the small intestine becoming weakened, like I just talked about, the permeability of the gut wall. Now, this is known as leaky gut. Now, with leaky gut, you're not only creating autotoxemia with those small toxic particles being replaced back into the blood, not replaced, being sent back into the bloodstream, but you're not actually absorbing all the nutrients that you should be required for the body to function properly. So if you are someone who is on the pill, there are certain supplements that are essential for overall health because of how the pill disrupts our gut microbiome and how it can then lead on to the likes of leaky gut or gut dysbiosis or inflammatory bowel disease. There's massive studies done in the States around uh, women on the contraceptive pill who then developed IBD, um, irritable bowel disease, but specifically Crohn's disease. Now, of course, there are other factors at play, as in what the diets were like, what the nutrition is like, were they eating processed foods, was that causing gut permeability? But studies uh, and research into the pill and how it reacts in the gut microbiome is showing a direct correlation there with gut health. So if you're on the pill, do you need supplements? Yes, you do. But starting at the beginning, you need a good probiotic. If the pill is disrupting your gut microbiome, you need to keep on top of that and you need to prevent further damage to the gut wall. Your gut health is literally your overall health. So getting a good probiotic, so the likes of, I personally use the Udo Super 8s. Getting a good probiotic and getting your gut health right getting your gut microbiome in check and having a healthy, happy gut is going to be your key for overall health. Now, it's not just a matter of getting a good probiotic. You also need to be looking at prebiotics. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out and buy prebiotics. You can, there are loads of prebiotic foods. So anything that has polyphenols in them. So the likes of your, your blueberries, your blackberries, raspberries, then any fermented foods, so kombucha, um, sauerkraut, kimchi, anything fermented will have an element of a pre and probiotic in it. So starting with the gut health, do go and get a good probiotic. It is essential, especially for the uptake of nutrients. Because women who are on the pill can't they can't fully absorb their b vitamins and other vitamins so the likes of your vitamins b12 b6 b9 vitamin c zinc and magnesium for a lot of women on the pill you're actually um you're more susceptible to being deficient but a lot of people don't go and get regular blood tests done but it is known that using the pill actually blocks the uptake and the absorption of b vitamins Now, because I always say every woman is different and everybody's body is different, I'm going to stand by that. 
And I'm not recommending you go out and go buying a multivitamin because really with a lot of multivitamins, you're just shooting in the dark. And as well, the quality of vitamins and minerals out there. You need to be buying good quality stuff, not ones that are full of fillers. But what I would suggest is open your intake of foods that are rich in B vitamins. So the likes of your meat, eggs, spinach, all your greens. And then foods rich in vitamin C, like all your orange colored veg. And then foods that are rich in zinc and magnesium. Getting these foods into your system is vital because the pill stops the uptake and absorption of these vitamins and minerals. But having the probiotic, having good gut health first, so you're able to absorb these nutrients is crucial. Now, if you do have gut health problems, then I would be recommending going on certain supplements. So the likes of your B12, your B9, but not just any regular ones. I'd be going for a methylated version. So a methylated B12 and a methylated folate because of the conversion process throughout the gut. And if you have an element of leaky gut, that's going to be disrupted. But also getting regular blood tests to keep on top of your levels. Because if your B12 and your folate are on the lower side of normal and that they keep dropping, you're not absorbing them. So there is an issue there. So I would be supplementing. But like I said, with the, the methyl B12 and the methyl folate. And then the likes of your vitamin C, your magnesium, your zinc, your selenium. These are all high antioxidant vitamins and supplements or and minerals. So making sure that you are getting them in through your food. You're not going to be able to be tested at the doctor for those levels, but you can be, t- be tested for your B12 and your folate. And they are, for women, they are two of the most important minerals needed for the body. But yeah, just making sure you're getting regular blood tests done. Get your probiotic. Make sure your gut health is on point. And then if needs be, supplement in with the likes of B12 and B9. But gut health is key. And yeah, the more I'm diving into it, not the more that I'm diving into it, but the more research papers I come across and the more it's gut health is is all health. So even though I'm doing or less happy hormones, our hormones are directly correlated with our gut health. It's in our gut where we actually metabolize an awful lot of our estrogen. And then it's in our gut if we have leaky gut, that excess estrogen is being leaked back out into the blood system. So look, looking after your gut health is really important in all areas. So that's all questions. That's this week's podcast. <clears throat> I hope I was of help and didn't bore you too much with the science of stuff. But yeah, if you have any other questions, please feel free to shoot them my way. Like I said, I do love talking all things hormones, all things health. And I love being able to go further in depth in your questions because this is why I'm doing it. It's for people who want to know the information. So keep sending them over. But for now, happy Friday, happy hormones. And like I said earlier, happy love day. Go out, enjoy it, embrace the day, embrace love. Embrace yourselves. <laughs>